hey, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and only serve him. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. And uh, I guess my question is, how many of you guys would be able to fast for 40 days and 40 nights? Except maybe for Jerry, which we know Jerry can do it. And then how about doing that without sinning a single time? And then after that, to be purposely put into a situation where you would be tempted with everything or anything you could ever want and still not succumb to the temptation. Not very many, I would assume, but uh, there's another uh, section in Matthew 24 I want to read. Uh, Those who passed by, this is when he was being crucified, and it says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chiefs, priests, and the teachers of the law and elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. Now, how many of you would be, who would willingly allow yourself to be mocked and jailed and beaten and crucified when you could stop it at any point? How many of you would be willing to do it for those who hated you and reviled your every existence and uh, wished you were dead? Have you ever stopped to wonder what was God's purpose in putting Jesus into these specific situations? Why was Jesus put into the worst situations and then tempted? His purpose was to see if there were any limits to what Jesus could endure or would endure. It was to ensure that his death on the cross would bear the sin of all those who might believe It was to ensure that Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice. His purpose was to save sinners like you and me. Who is this God? What kind of love is this that while we were still his enemies, Christ came and was tempted in every way without sin and willingly died for us? He is our Savior. And that is why we are here this morning. Right now is the time we set aside each Sunday to thank and remember Jesus who was tempted And crucified without sin. It's time to repent for any sins that you have committed this day or week or month or even your whole life. So that he might bear them on the cross for you this morning. If you believe in him, your sins are forgiven. And if you're not a believer, and we just ask that you pass the trays and not participate. However, I would ask that you think about your, any sins that you may have or any thoughts on your mind and consider talking to one of our other ministers or elders uh, after church uh, to see what Jesus has done for you as well, even though you don't believe. And so this morning, I would just ask you to pray with me as we uh, take communion. Dear Father, we just thank you so much for your love for us, and we thank you for sending your son, and we just thank Jesus for enduring all that he did and all that he went through without sin for our, for our benefit. And even though uh, <clears throat> if you love me obey my commands I will ask the father and he will give you another friend to help you and to be with you forever that friend is the spirit of truth 
world can't accept him. That's because the world does not see him or know him. But you know him. He lives with you, and he will be in you. Well, happy Valentine's Day. It's really not Valentine's Day, but this is the week that I get to preach a sermon on love. Um, don't worry if you're single, it's not going to be about... Uh, oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You were going to do that and I cut you off. Um, children, if you are in the young worship, we're going to get this right one of these days, Jacob. Um, you just keep hitting me and we're going to figure this out. Uh, children worship in the back. So we uh, are going to uh, celebrate Valentine's Day, even though some of you are like, yeah, I don't, I don't really care about Valentine's Day. Uh, I don't have anyone special in my life. This sermon today has nothing to do with uh, loving a woman or a man. It has nothing, but it's going to be all about loving Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, but, you know, I, um, I've, I've not always been the greatest at Valentine's Day. Um, you can ask my wife, I'm, I'm not always the most romantic. I think, you know, pizza and a movie is romantic, and that doesn't always fly. So if any of you guys are really good at romance stuff, maybe you could kind of disciple me a little bit today, help me out so that I can, uh, may, yeah, see, she's giving the thumbs up. Um, but I, I get a kick out of uh, of all the, the fun advice. I I love reading funny things that kids say, uh, especially about love. And I was going to show the youth video, and I decided that it's probably was just for my entertainment. And so I shouldn't do it. Um, but I found myself this last week just like watching funny Valentine's fails and, and wedding fails of, you know, things, people falling in the water and stuff like that. I, I really enjoy that. But I did, I did bring something <clears throat> that I want to share with you. Um, because in, in this week where we celebrate love and Valentine's Day, there's some advice that children have given. And if you don't have someone significant in your life, you guys pay close attention. This might be the ticket to get you that special loved one. And if you have someone, maybe you need to up the game a little bit. This might help you, okay? <clears throat> so they asked some kids, what are some strategies for making people fall in love with you. <clears throat> Dell, who is only age six, his advice is, tell them you own a whole bunch of candy stores. That'll get it. That would work for me. Um, Camille, who is only nine, says, shake your hips and hope for the best. <laughs> I'm not going to go with that one. <laughs> Bart, who is nine, says, one way is to take a girl out to eat, make sure it's something she likes to eat. French fries usually work for me. That would work for me. Um, and then they said, can you give us some good advice about love? And here's some of the advice they get. Lynette, age eight, said, dates are for having fun and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. <laughs> I'm not sure I like Lynette. Um, Ricky... <laughs> Ricky, who was seven, said, tell your wife she looks pretty even if she looks like a dump truck. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to be uh, that boy either. Um, 
Robbie, age eight, said, or no, Aaron, age eight, said, don't forget your wife's name. That'll mess things up. <laughs> That'll mess it up, all right. Um, Aaron, age eight, said, be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take out the trash. Um, that, that's possible. I don't know if that'll work or not. But Natalie says, don't say you love somebody and then change your mind. Love isn't like picking what movie you want to watch. Then they said, well, can you give us some advice on kissing? <clears throat> and so here's Wendy's advice. She's eight. When a person gets kissed for the first time, they fall down and they don't get up for at least an hour. Anybody ha- happen to you? Anybody? No, nobody. Um, Jim, age 10, said, you should never kiss a girl unless you have enough bucks to buy her a big ring and her own VCR because she's going to want to have videos of the wedding. This is true. This is true. Doug, age 7, you learn how to kiss right on the spot when the gushy feelings get the best of you. <clears throat> Tammy, age 10, says, it's never okay to kiss a boy. They always slobber all over you. That's why I stopped doing it. (laughs) And then the final piece of advice this morning from Gina, who was eight years old, says, I know one reason kissing was created. It makes you feel warm all over, and they didn't always have electric heat or fireplaces or even stoves in their houses. So there you go. That is our Valentine's advice. We are going to talk about love today, but we're going to talk about love from a different perspective. Not between a man and a wife, not between a boy and a girl, but us having love for Jesus. And before we do, I, I just want to pray and, and ask God to, to come in this place. Father, I, I ask you to speak to us today. I ask you to take my voice and use it for your betterment, for the kingdom's sake, And I ask that you would speak into the hearts of the people here today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fall on us. Convict us where we need convicting. And give us courage to stand up and be obedient to what you call us to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, we use love in a lot of different ways. We saw how these kids talked about love. But we, we use the word love pretty flippantly sometimes. Um... Have you heard someone say, I just love puppies? Well, okay, that's good. I love puppies too. I don't like when they mess in the house. I love puppies. Um, And I just have have to give a disclaimer. Not all of these are things that I necessarily agree with. Um, People say, I love exercising. That's not me. Um, uh, I love broccoli. That's not me either. Um, I love chocolate. That is me. Um, I love my wife. I do love my wife. And all those things uh, are descriptions of how we look at love in our society. And sometimes those are kind of flippant. But I want us to talk about what what changes when we say, I love Jesus. Because I think a lot of times we love Jesus like we love puppies. We love Jesus like we love chocolate. When I get a craving, I want him. And I want us to look at, uh, from our text, John 14, um, that the most significant thing that we do as Christians is to love Christ. That's the most significant thing we do. And if we don't have that, we're not on the right track. As a matter of fact, I think we might have even missed the right train if we don't have our love for Jesus down. And so I want us to talk about this morning. Um, If you have your Bibles, please open them. I had the... 
young man read the first couple of verses, but I want us to go a little deeper in this. John 14, please. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Follow along on your, on your tablets, your devices, whatever you've got there. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 15, and we're going to go down through verse 27. <clears throat> Just a little background, John, the apostle, wrote this, and and if you've ever read John before, you'll find that he talks a lot about love, and he also wrote a couple other little books called 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and in those, he talks a lot about love and how, what that looks like, and the reality of what real love is, and so keep in mind, John is not one of those guys that's like, he's not a mamby-pamby, he's like, this is how it is. If you're not doing this, it proves that you're not doing that. And so he says to us, beginning in verse 15, if you love me, we start the whole passage with the word, two little word, two letter word, if. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, said, if anyone loves me, this is like the third or fourth time that he said that, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid." We see in here some realities of love, and, and I want us to see that if I love Jesus, I will do certain things. Now, I don't want you to get confused and think that I'm asking you to fill out a checklist, because that's not what this is about at all. It, there is never, Jesus is not a checklist kind of Savior. He's not a, well, if you do this and this and this, then, then you will be saved or whatever. That's not how Jesus works. Salvation has been taken care of. Jesus did that on the cross. It's complete. We can't do anything to add to that, or we can't do anything to take away from that. However, he does say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we're going to look at the idea that if I truly love Jesus, there will be some realities that take place in our life. The first reality is this. If I truly love Jesus, I will be obedient. I will be obedient. There was a, a ministerial student back in the day, and this was in a denominational group, and, and it was one of the groups where they assigned you your pastorate. So they said, okay, you're going to go to this church. There wasn't a church vote. They didn't come and try out. They just 
got whatever the, whatever the parish guy sent them, <clears throat> he received his assignment. And it was somewhat less than what he thought he deserved. And he was grumbling about that. One of his fellow students said, well, it sure is a good thing, and, a, and the world is definitely a better place because Michelangelo didn't say, I, I don't do ceilings. And it, and it made him think that, okay, maybe me saying I don't do that or I deserve better than that. The fact is, you and I are going to be faithful. If we're going to be faithful to the ministry God is calling us, we need to understand that saying I don't do is really disobedience. What would life have been like if there was a German monk named Martin Luther who said, I don't do doors? If you don't understand that reference, Martin Luther was the one who uh, read the Bible for himself and said, wait a minute, what they've been telling us is not true. And he, and he put together all these theses and he nailed them on the door of the Catholic Church saying, listen, basically it was a stance. What if he hadn't done that? The great reformation of the, of the kingdom of God came about as a result of Martin Luther nailing those theses to the door. What if, uh, what would life be like if there was an Oxford, Oxford man named John Wesley who said, I don't do preaching in fields? Maybe you don't know about John Wesley, but John Wesley was a man who was called to be a man of God and called to preach. And he would go to towns and he would start preaching. He got kicked out of so many towns for preaching, he started preaching in the pastures. And he preached, and John Wesley was the originator of one of the great revival movements in our, in our lifetime here in America. Well, what would he have done if he said, well, I, I, don't, I don't preach in pastures? What about if Moses said, I don't do pharaohs, or I don't do mass migrations? What, if, what would it be like if Noah said, I don't do arcs and animals? Uh, what would it have been like if Rahab said, I don't do enemy spies? What would life be like if Ruth said, I don't do mother-in-laws? I don't want to hear any comments about that. There might be a mother-in-law in the room. Um, what if David said, I don't do giants? What, if life, what would life be like if Peter said, I don't do Gentiles? He was the one who, who was the, the apostle to the Gentiles. What would have happened if he said, I don't do that? The list goes on and on. I can give you a, a bunch more examples of people who are willing to say, because I love Jesus, I will be obedient. If I love Jesus, because if I truly love Jesus, I will be obedient. That's what our text says. And ob obedience says, I do. And it demonstrates what we believe. Obedience says, I do. Not obedience to check a box, but obedience because I love. We've got to keep this whole idea in mind, if I love Jesus, I will be obedient. It's because I love him, not because I have to, not because the preacher made me feel guilty, not because somebody said something about it or I saw a post on Facebook. We obey because we love. And if I truly love Jesus, I will be obedient. That brings us to reality number two. And it says, my lack of obedience proves my lack of true love. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that just what you said in the first one? My, because you said, if, if I truly love Jesus, I will obey. How many of you ever said, I love Jesus, and then you went out and lived sinfully? I'm raising my hand. I'm there. 
The reality is, we say all the time, if I would ask any one of you, I come up to you and say, do you love Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm here every week, aren't I? And I, I would say, I'm not sure that's the proof. It's good that you're here. God wants you to be among the saints. He says, don't forsake the gathering together. But that's not necessarily proof that you love Jesus just because you came to church. The reality is genuine love changes how you act. I do not act the same way that I used to because I love my wife. My love for my wife changed the way I act. Now, I still struggle with pride, but pride was a big problem early in our marriage. And she, she's, I'm surprised she's not raising her hand again. But I love my wife. And so because I love my wife, I changed who I was. And I'm not the same uh, prideful man I used to be. I still struggle with pride. And I have to pray against that all the time. The reality is we can't just say, oh yeah, I love Jesus, and then do whatever the heck we want. Because God calls us to certain things. And he calls each and every one of us. If you think God hasn't called you to something, you've missed the whole message of the gospel. Because he said in Matthew 28, go into all the world. Tell them about Jesus. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Baptize them into Jesus Christ. So he calls us. And he asks us to do some things. Many of us would put our hand on a Bible and swear, I love Jesus. <clears throat> and that same person would probably walk out and before they even got in the car to go home, have a fight with their wife. Or be disrespectful or use foul language in the, you know, as soon as they get out the door. You see, God says, if you love me, you will be obedient and your lack of ob obedience just nails the coffin shut and says, yeah, this is true. If you aren't willing, what are, what are some of the things that God's called us to? And I think he's called all of us to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He called every one of us to, to, to love him with everything we've got. I have to tell you that there are times when I don't do that. I still love me better. I still struggle with that. Write his word on your heart that you might not sin. When was the last time you memorized a scripture verse so that you would not sin? Maybe you're struggling with lust. When was the last time you memorized a verse of the Bible to help you deal with lust? God calls us to this. He says, resist the devil. This is an amazing thing. The devil is always at work. I just had, I had two conversations this morning with two different people, and, and they're like, wow, the devil's working hard this morning. And I'm like, yeah, he's always doing that. James gives us the answer. Resist him and he'll flee. When was the last time you just said, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ, go back to hell where you belong. That's where you belong. We need to resist the devil. Psalm uh, 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God and he'll make your paths straight. Any of you ever had some crooked paths before? Some journeys where you're like, I, I can't see how to get down this road. I, I'm not sure I, I can make it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And here's the big part. Lean not on your own understanding. You know what leaning on your own understanding means? 
that you're the, you're the Lord of your life instead of God. That's what that means. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. God calls us to do this. He says, abide in me. We've been talking about that. Be the branch. Have you been the branch? Have you been abiding in God's word, spending time praying with him? Are you abiding in him? And uh, Timothy talks about training, Paul talks to Timothy about training yourself in godliness. You know, uh, when, uh, is anybody runners? Does anybody here run? Okay, you're crazy. Um, when he trains to run, it's intentional. I would dare say there are times when you don't want to go running. And there are times when it's like it's, maybe it's cold or uh, something comes up, but you have to be intentional about training to run. Um, I have a friend, my good friend in Wichita, who loves to run, and he's done some long-distance running. He said, the most difficult part in running is taking the step off the front porch. You have to train yourself in godliness. How do you do that? You study his word. You spend time. You take part in connection groups. You, you spend time in Sunday school classes to find out how do I do this. And I want to challenge you today to look very intently at your life. And I want you to ask yourself, what adds up? <clears throat> You know, in science, now, please, I don't, I don't know that much about science. I think I got a C, barely passed. But I do know this, that when there's a theory, they do experiments to determine if they can prove the theory. And then it becomes fact. If, if we were to do experiments in your life, could we prove that you love Jesus? Could we look at your obedience or your lack thereof and determine, do you really love Jesus or do you not? And you say, preacher, don't yell at me because I don't do everything right. I'm not yelling because you don't do everything right. What I want you to understand is that God expects us to try. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. I fail every single day. I can manage to make my wife mad at me almost every day of existence. By something stupid I say, by me not paying attention and not caring about her. See, God doesn't, doesn't demand that you be perfect in this. But he does ask you to try. What are you working on? Are you really trying to develop and showing the world, I really do love Jesus? Which means if I've got, if I've got a habit that I'm struggling with, are you trying to break that habit? Maybe you struggle with pornography or lust or whatever that is. Are you working on that or are you just leaving that aside? Have you asked someone to help you with that? The reality is we demonstrate to God that we love him by attempting obedience. We don't always succeed, but we've got to keep trying. We've got to try to obey. And so I want you to ask yourself, what is it in my life? What is it in my life that I'm not obeying? Because it comes back to you, and this is not me saying it, John is saying to you, if you're not obeying, you don't really love Jesus. That's hard to hear, isn't it? It's hard to hear. Our society has made everything so wishy-washy that we can say, well, you don't have to do all that to love Jesus. You know what? The Bible says we do. I'm going to err on the side of what I know to be truth than what 
feels good. John says, if you love me, you will obey. If you don't obey, you just proved the fact you don't love me. That's for us to deal with. I have to deal with that. You have to deal with that. And you have to decide, what do I need to change? Third reality is this. Gets better. The first two realities are like, oh man, I, I need to work on some things. The third reality is if I love Jesus, and because I love Jesus, he will give me the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about all you guys. I, I think some of you probably grew up in the same situation I was in. I grew up in the Christian church, and I was told from the very beginning, here's how you get the Holy Spirit. You get baptized. Any of heard that? Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is absolutely true. However, that is about an act. And Jesus is not about acts. He is about relationship. And so John says in our passage that because I love Jesus, he will give me the Holy Spirit. It's not so much an act, but a relationship. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will go to the Father and I will have him send the Holy Spirit. Yes, the truth is, at baptism, that's when he says, that's the promise. However, it's not because of the act of baptism that the Holy Spirit is given. It's because we love him, we're obedient to him. Jesus says, I'm going to take that to the Father, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. It's all about relationship. That's why we're talking about love. Love is about relationship. It's not about duty. It's about relationship. So if I love the Father, and I prove that love in demonstrating I'm, I'm going to do my best to be obedient as much as I can, he says, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. What an amazing gift for simply reciprocating out of love to him because of the love he gives us. The Holy Spirit is described as a helper. He's, he's our permanent helper that dwells within us. How many of you ever have found yourself to need a little help? I was going to use the quote from the Beatles, I get by with a little help from my friends, but the next line is, I get high with the help from my friends. So I decided not to use that quote. The truth is, none of us can do life as an island. None of us can survive by ourselves. Jesus knew that, and that's why he said, love me, obey me. I'm going to send you a helper that will live in you and be your permanent helper from now on. And he said, in, in the text it says that, that he will be our counselor. He will be our teacher, our reminder, and our guide. He is going to be all of those things for us because we can't do this life of following Jesus alone and by ourselves. It's really pride that says, I can do it myself. Uh, it hasn't been all that long ago. Uh, one of my grandsons, uh, at about three, and if you have a grandson or a son at that age, you understand exactly what I'm saying. He was having difficulty with something, and I said, here, let me help you. What did he say? I can do it myself. Do you know that pride starts in small children? Nobody had to teach that kid how to do that. He just automatically became prideful. I can do it myself. How many times 
has someone come to you and said, hey, I see you're struggling. Can I help you? No, I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. You know what that is? That's pride. Because the reality is not a single one of us can do it by ourselves. I need help. I have guys that I have to call. When, when Satan's hammering me hard and I'm being tempted in some ways, there's guys that, I, that are on my call list and I call them. I say, guys, Satan's hit me hard in this. I need your prayers. And they're all over it. I cannot do it by myself and neither can you. I don't care how great you think you are. You cannot do it alone. You have to have someone to help you. And he is the helper. I guess I would ask, are you catching the wind of the Holy Spirit and letting him move you, letting him help you and guide you in your life? Because that's what he wants to do. So a great thing is if I love Jesus and am obedient to him, he, he sends the Holy Spirit to me. And he gives him as that everlasting helper and gift for the rest of time. Fourth reality is this. Now that I love Jesus, God will make his home in me. You see, what happens, a relationship takes place. When I am obedient, it's not about Jesus like, okay, I, I got the book, he, yeah, he did that, he, he did this. No, a relationship happens. Jesus loves us, we begin to love him back, and in that love, when we love him, we say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What, what have you got for me? Let me do what you ask me to do. And a relationship thing forms. And that relationship indicates engagement from two sides. It's not just him. It's us and him working together. He says, if you love me, you'll keep me my word. And I will make my home with you. A home indicates a permanent dwelling. Chances are good that there's someone in this room who doesn't understand the concept of a safe home. Maybe you grew up and as a small child you were abandoned. Maybe you were abused. Maybe someone took advantage of you. And maybe life was never good at home. And so that concept of having a home may be a little foreign to you. But the home that God wants to provide is not the home where you get hurt. It's a home where daddy loves you. And Daddy wants to be with you, and He wants to spend time with you, and He wants to help you. Hebrews 13.5, the second half of it said, Jesus says, I will never leave or forsake you. Some of you have been abandoned. Some of you have been set aside because, and, and what it makes you feel is that you're not good enough. I want you to know that Jesus says to you today, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. There's never going to come a time when you can't count on a home to come home to. That's what Jesus gives us. It's one thing for somebody to come to visit, quite another for someone to move in and become a permanent resident, isn't it? I remember when my wife and I first got married. We hadn't been married. Well, it started out my children were the problem. We got married and... We hadn't been married a month, and my two boys moved in with us. Well, they were adults, and they were messy, and they were, they were stinky, and all these kinds of things. And they ate like, like hogs, and, uh, and they didn't give us any money for food. And so we had them with, and it's like, there came a point where I'm like, okay, uh, I think they moved in in June. And I said, you guys need to be working on finding a place to live. 
Um, middle of December, I said, okay, here's the deal. You haven't been looking. December 31st is your last day to stay here. You better find someplace. And we thought, okay, it was time, <laughs> time for them to move out. And two months later, three months later, her daughter, who's pregnant, has a, has a three-year-old, is pregnant with another one, who's in with us. And we thought, okay, we're going to keep her for a little while. And, and a year and a half later, and another kid later, she's still living with us. You see, it's different when someone comes to visit because you know they're going to go home. And you can handle. And, and I've got to say this, some of my family members, I won't say who, but uh, God bless them. They're, if they stay a day, that'd be perfect and then go. But sometimes anything over a day is like, oh my gosh, why, why won't they go home? Um, you know the feeling, right? When someone comes to say, and it's just too long. The truth is, when he brings his home with us, it's not just for a visit. It's a forever home. And from that point on, he will make his home in us. I don't want you to see that. He makes his home in us. We get to come home to him, but his home is in us. He lives in us. So when I love Jesus, when God makes his home in me, the fifth reality is this. When I love Jesus, he gives me peace. When I love Jesus, he gives me peace. And that, that doesn't mean the absence of conflict okay, uh, and trials, which is usually what we want. So I, you hear a mother say, I sure wish I had a little peace. What that means is, will those kids please stop yelling? And can I have five minutes to myself to drink a cup of coffee? When we say, I want peace, a lot of times we're thinking, I just want the absence of conflict. Well, the truth is, in the world we live in, we will never have an absence of conflict. There's always going to be conflict. However, peace, the way Jesus describes it, is different than the way the world describes it. Jesus says, not as the world gives, I give you peace. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. In the midst of the conflict, there is peace. Because the heart relationship with God, with Jesus is there and he brings peace. You remember the scripture that says, peace that passes all understanding? That's the peace in the midst of conflict. That's the peace in the midst of trials that we can understand. I don't even know how I can be standing right now. I don't, I don't know how I'm making it through. It's because God has made his home in you, and he has brought peace to you that is beyond and outside this world's understanding of peace. This peace that Jesus gives becomes the source of courage with how we face our days. It gives us courage to live our lives in a world that is messed up. And it's so interesting to me that all of this that we've talked about this morning, all of these realities lead back to the first reality. All of them lead back to if I love Jesus, I will be obedient Each of these realities build on the first one, if I love Jesus. So this morning, we're going to come to a time of decision. And I, I would like to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. And we're going to sing an invitation song. 
See, every one of us, every one of us has a next step that we need to take. I don't know where your next step is. God's calling me to my, some of my next steps. 